Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I'm Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. Firstly, I have to apologise that this episode is a couple of weeks late. Unfortunately, that's because I've had a busy few weeks and paid work has to take precedence. I try and keep to a regular podcasting schedule, but that's not always possible. So in this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Carl Carruthers, who spent nearly seven years working as chief scientist for NanoRacks, helping customers send their payloads into space. Carl has moved on now from NanoRacks and is currently a downstream process development scientist and team leader at the Vaccine Production Programme of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. He's working on the biomanufacturing of vaccine products for Phase 1 and Phase 2 clinical trials. Carl also has his own consulting company, Coast Phase Consulting, providing no-hype consulting on space life science projects or investment. But he's here to tell us about the plant science experiments he worked on while he was at NanoRacks. How you doing? I'm uh, good. I still haven't come out of the holiday haze, I think. No, yeah. I don't think I have either. Okay, so I... One of the first things I wanted to ask you uh, was I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I know that you have a PhD in biochemistry. Um, You look at protein structures and things like that. But what I didn't know until I read that was that you have sent your own research into space. So that was how you started being the principal investigator on some of your own research. So can you just sort of sum that up for us? Sure. So I started as an undergrad and a project back in the day on the space shuttle called it a gas can project or getaway special. And these were small cylindrical, but not really small. They were about five cubic feet, two and a half cubic feet, something like that, that you could buy the volume of and pretty much put whatever you wanted into it. And the price was affordable and, 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 and it was a really great program to get students involved into space research. There's a lot of programs like that now. There were really no projects like that. But this was the late 90s, mid yeah. to late 90s. And so I had the opportunity to work as an undergrad on one of these projects. And it was a, what was it called? It's called Grade X Genotoxicology Radiation and Dosimetry Experiment. It, okay. was a, it was a bunch of in vivo and in vitro seeds and cells uh, that were pretty much just put in the back of the space shuttle, Space Shuttle Discovery, uh, STS-91 and um, exposed to the radiation of space. And we, it was a collaboration with uh, Texas A&M. I was at Broward College at the time. And um, we brought them back and we ran them on gels and did things like that. And so that was my first introduction. I, I, I grew up in South Florida, so I watched shuttle launches all as often as I could. Now, any launch, I have lost count of how many launches I've seen and wow. I want to see more. Um, <laughs> so the I didn't think I could ever be a actual space research scientist. I never thought I had the science background or the math background or whatever. I wasn't smart. I asked only once MIT and Harvard and, and, you know, those kind of students. And I was not one of those. I was at a community college. right? <laughs> and so we had the opportunity to participate in this program and it changed my life because I got to interact with 
uh, actual NASA personnel. I get to interact with the NASA process of putting payloads into space, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it literally 180'd my life into, into uh, I guess, all the crazy things I've done there. <laughs> uh, so that was my first experience and my first payload. It was, it was a lot of fun. We got to see the shuttle launch. We got to see the payload be put into the space shuttle. We got to see it, the space shuttle return and things like that. And get to meet the crew. And it was just an amazing experience. So that was, that was my catapult into uh, a lot of other great projects. So um, that's how I got involved. That was my first, first. <laughs> that's an amazing story. <laughs> so given that you were a research scientist and you, you've done several of your own experiments, what drew you into working with NanoRacks and becoming a payload specialist for other people? The professor that got me involved in the first payload as an undergrad was uh, uh, Dr. Rolando Brantley at Broward College. And he had an, uh, an opportunity to fly some protein crystal growth experiments on STS-134 and STS-135, the last two uh, shuttle flights. And he uh, asked me if I wanted to, to get involved in that. I said, of course, yes. <laughs> and um, while I was there for STS-134, I got to meet uh, uh, Mike Johnson and, and Jeff Mamber at NanoRex. And we kind of bonded over this belief that uh, space research could be better. Yeah. Uh, it could be cheaper and faster and easier and all the buzzwords you hear now um, that I think NanoRx uh, has, yeah, obviously, if you know the history of NanoRx, has definitely shown that it can be. Yeah. And so I met them, we bonded over that, and they were the payload developer for that project. So I started consulting with them while I was still doing research at the Methodist Research Institute in Houston, Texas. And I started consulting with them on, on some space hardware uh, that, that they were interested in. And it just kind of became, you know, hey, we don't have any scientists at the company. It's all engineers. Maybe you could eventually come work for us. And that was 2011, 2010, late 2010, 2011. And so I eventually did. I got to a point in my research where I could I could uh, depart where I was at. And I took the opportunity because it's really rare uh, opportunity to be a scientist at, at a space company. Yeah. Look at all the space companies out there. It's just all engineers and <laughs> business development people and lawyers and things like that to be a scientist at a company. It was really rare. So I jumped on it uh, immediately. And I call it, I switched to the other side of the paperwork because now I was not, I was actually shepherding people, researchers and things like through this mountain of paperwork. I had the science background. I had the paperwork experience, if you want to say that. And it kind of was a little bit of a unique skill set that I could actually talk to other researchers and things like that. And I knew what they, I could translate what they needed to the paperwork people and the engineers, and I could take what the engineers and paperwork people and talk to scientists. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got involved in NanoRx, and I joined them in uh, technically January of 2014, but full-time in April of 2014. My first mission that I worked was CRS uh, SpaceX uh, 3, and uh, I worked, I think, about 20 flights. I was there for six and a half years, and so I worked 20 flights with NanoRx. Uh, it was great because when I started there, there was, by then, I think it, I think I was like employee number 13, 14, 15, 20, that's all there was. And when I left in uh, July 2020, there was uh, 100, I think yeah. 100 people. And now NanoRx grew into this wonderful, you know, just bulldozer of a company, right? It just does so many great things. Yeah. Um, so the opportunity to experience that, and, and not only just through NanoRx, but CVI, the growth of the commercial space, uh, I don't want to say phenomena, but just to watch <laughs> To want to be a part of that history as the commercial resupplies program came on board, 
as commercial payload developers came on more on board, yeah. uh, things like that to actually be a part of that was was incredible to watch. And now it's just this big machine that just that is supplying uh, payloads to the space station yeah. uh, quite yeah. regularly. And now we're at the point now where we may actually see some commercial space stations, uh, which is pretty exciting. You're now seeing astronauts to actually pay to fly yeah. um, and, and things like that. So the whole experience was amazing. It was a really, uh, really great it's it, great experience for me to also see the business side of things. That's was something else I kind of got a little bit of a touch of experience with yeah. at Methodist and then, and then to see the commercial space side of it like that. So, yeah, and that's, that's how I started working with, with Nanorack. So. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean, one of the payloads that I know you worked on uh, was a special one for the United Arab Emirates who wanted to send palm tree seeds into space. And I know that you have a fun story about that. So can you share it with us? Yeah, so we had started talking with the UAE, I believe it was maybe 2017, around then, 2018. And um, they were looking at selecting an, an astronauts. They were going to have the first UAE astronauts. They actually wanted to contribute. They didn't want to just be another pleasure flight, right? Yeah. They didn't want to just, you know, a symbol flight. Um, and they wanted uh, their astronauts to actually be doing something meaningful when when uh, he or she would be up there. And... Um, so we had discussed, hey, we can we could possibly come up with some experimental ideas and, and work with you on that since we're really good at that. Um, and so I was pretty much tasked with, hey, what can we do with <laughs> what can we do with them? And so we were working with the MBRSC or the Mohammed bin Rashad Space Center, and then we were working also with the UAE Space Agency in uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, MBRSC is in uh, uh, Dubai, and um, so I put together. I was trying to think of. Since this is a very symbolic flight, I'm like, what can we do to actually show off the UAE? You know, what can we do that are like very symbols of not necessarily just the UAE, but also the Middle East region? Yeah. This would have been the second uh, Arab in space, I believe. And so it was very symbolic. And I was trying to think of like, okay, there's sand, lots of <laughs> sand. Um, there's water. There's and then there was this this thing being from Florida that always stuck out as we're just palm trees, right? And I yeah. saw palm trees everywhere, and I'm like. I thought I was familiar with palm trees um, until, and so I put, I put together a range of ideas for uh, experiments to, uh, uh, for the MBRSC and the UAE space agency. I had just, I guess I should say ignorantly came up with this idea. Yeah, we'll grow a palm tree in space. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, it was, this, this should be easy, right? You put seed in a gel and it grows nothing. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Once they accepted, they said that's a great idea, and it just took off. It just took off into this great pro program because because it is such a great symbol of that area. And dates and date palms are a huge bit, not only a huge business, but it was a huge source of uh, food for that region for a very long time. So not yeah. you know, just not just of uh, sugar, but of vitamins and minerals. It's it's a really great uh, uh, food. Um, it's also very symbolic in, the, in coffee. If you ever go have coffee in the Middle East, they have a, a, a dala, I think it is, so the coffee pot, and they have their whole their whole ritual of drinking coffee as well. And it usually involves some sort of dates. And there's all sort of date connoisseurs. They, the, <laughs> I never, again, this is where I was really ignorant. I didn't know there were so many different types of dates. I mean, there's literally hundreds of different types of dates. Um, and every every area has their type of date that they're proud of and that grows in these specific regions. So. Uh, so the other idea was to go, was to, hey, let's fly some seeds. That's pretty common to fly seeds. There's literally been hundreds of thousands of seeds probably flown to space. We can fly some date seeds and then you can distribute them 
to the regions, all the seven kingdoms of the UAE. Each ruler could have their space palm tree, or the, and then they could also take the seeds and do research on them as, as well. So the palm tree experiment also was was also very meaningful. Like this is a very hardy plant. Um, yeah. It's hardy, but it's also very niche. <laughs> palm trees are very picky about where they grow. As any top tier niche, you know, evolutionary niche organism is. Um, so it's very choosy about you know, water content and sunlight and things like that. It also takes, I think it's eight to 12 years before it actually matures to make fruit. And these plants can grow up to 50 feet tall, right? So yeah. the idea of actually growing a, a, a whole entire tree in space is just not, well, at least not um, in the space station is going to happen. But where is also a very hospitable region um, was Mars, right? So thinking of, hey, maybe we could grow something like this on Mars. And if this is such a, a hardy plant, we can learn a lot from it, uh, either not only physiologically, but genetically and things like yeah. that. And um, the UAE thought that was great because they have, a, they, they have a, a very big focus on developing their own food, uh, especially agri- agriculture type foods and things like that. And if you ever go to the UAE or the Middle East region, when uh, something that struck me when we drove there as we we were traveling around uh, the region was these just huge red sand dunes and it looks like Mars, right? It's yeah. like you have a you have a Mars analog right in your backyard. Yeah. And so all of these things came, you know, kind of a confluence of ideas that just everything just fit, right? It's like this is a great project. So one thing I quickly learned is in order to grow date palms, they're they're not grown from seed. Because you can't tell the sex of the plant from a seed. You have to know um, um, whether it's a male or female. So they usually do grafting of the plants. So we started working with the UAE University and Elaine um, and uh, uh, Dr. Benu Chowdhury and and, and Dr. Sham Karup. And working with them is like, okay, how can we put this in in space? The other thing we were limited by was uh, we were limited by volume. Yeah. Uh, and so we only had a one and a half U, which is 15 centimeters by by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. These uh, modules that are flown to space are usually in these cube shaped yeah. volumes uh, based on CubeSats. So a one U is a, is, a, is a 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. And so we had a, what we call a, a one and a half U. And so I had that limited volume. The other crazy thing is the, the space flights that occur for humans and cargo don't always meet up and, and you're really limited on the human flights from a Soyuz at the time it was just Soyuz flying. Yeah. Um, so there was going to be a delay between when the actual plant growth experiment arrived on station and when the astronaut would, would arrive. And at the time originally scheduled, there was the Soyuz avoid that happened and that kind of just threw a big monkey wrench into the timelines again. And so uh, when we finally got a timeline, we were looking at, uh, I think it was CRS, um, 18, which was July of 2019, and Hazza, who was then selected, uh, Hazza Al-Mansari was selected as the, the crew member to fly. He didn't, he wasn't going to arrive in September. And then, of course, we were going to miss the bus on the on the drive back to home, and the, the, the space, the, the, the cargo module that was actually going to bring it back was actually going to be CRS-19, and that was going to be January 2020. So you have this volume constriction. It's all the fun things that come in flying things yeah. in space, right? You have a volume uh, restriction. You have a time restriction. Uh, the last one was is we had no refrigeration, initial refrigeration on the way up. So this thing was going to, this, this experiment was going to have to sit at uh, space station temperature the whole time. So I had all these restrictions to design experiment, <laughs> a plant growth experiment, right? This is, this is just a daily thing for me is how to creatively come 
up and maneuver through the the restrictions of flying things into space as you've as you've seen on your podcast. It's yeah. just not easy. So those were the, the flight restrictions. And then of course there's also the growth and, and how to make this experiment work in space restrictions. So that started a long story. I just literally, I'm like, okay, we're, I need date seeds to practice on, right? I'm not going to use the actual seeds they're going to send. How do I come up with, where do I get seeds? And I'm like, I'll just buy dates at the store and use those seeds. Well, I didn't want to just waste the dates. So I was eating them, right? So I, I would eat them and then dry the seeds out. And I think over the period of I don't think, how long did we develop this? Because we had this long delay now. Yeah. It was about a year, I think, maybe total. I must have eaten hundreds of dates to get the seed. <laughs> so but I was learning to, and it was a great thing for culture-wise. I was learning about where dates come from. I was learning how the whole history of dates and, <laughs> and how important they are to the region. Um, and I was getting to try different types of dates, things like that. So I was really embedded in the in the whole idea of, of the, date, uh, the date tree project. So... I found that what fit perfectly in the one and a half U volume that we had was a 75 centimeter squared flask, just a normal culture flask. I figured we could try to put some, just some typical growth media, which is called typically used as phytogel. Uh, it's a very common uh, gel media that's used in plant growth experiments. And the, the, what was suggested by the UA University was to use a very rich type of media as well. And so we were looking at that. We just we would put the media in 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 the flask, put the seed in there, and and let it uh, and let it grow. But it what I found out quickly is you have to grow these the date palms in stages at, from a seed. Okay. So it has this very very thick uh, little football shaped kind of seed that has a ridge on one side and a little uh, little dent or a hole on the other side. It's very thick. It's very hardy and it's very but it, and it's also very porous. And what this does is this outside part of the seed actually helps fungus growth, mold growth, bacteria growth, and helps break down that seed outside. And this is very common in, in plant growth. And it provides nutrients to the plant that, that's growing in, in the ground. The root comes out one side eventually, and, and the leaf comes out the other. This process of actually getting it to germinate takes at least one to two weeks. Right. And there's 50 to 60% germination rate of these plants, which is horrible. Yes, that's no good now. <laughs> No, so out of the hundreds of seeds that I have, you know, half of them literally are growing, half of them are not. So a very common way is to put them in water and let them soak in water for a while. And then and then you can put them in a nice warm spot on a piece of uh, tissue paper and let it sit in some warmth. The, the root will eventually come out of the seed. So trying to figure out that time window was part of the experiment. But immediately, as we found out, these seeds, you would put them in the in the gel Within a few days, this was a nice rich media that was used. You'd have fungus and mold growth yeah. throughout the entire the entire flask. It would just take over within days. So I had to come up with a way to sterilize these seeds, sterilize the media, sterilize everything. So I went through multiple multiple iterations of how to how to clean the seeds. I would do a bleach soak, hydrogen peroxide, et cetera, et cetera, just multiple different ways. Would the seed even be able to grow after I soaked it in bleach <laughs> for a long period of time or, or, or in hydrogen peroxide? And it, it found out, again, due, just due to how hard these, these, these seeds and these plants are, that you can soak them for a while. Um, the other added step that I eventually found out would help a lot was we, I actually had a toothbrush, so you literally scrub the seed with this hydrogen peroxide solution. And at the time, I was at Nanars, I really didn't have a lab. I just kind of had a corner. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I, um, I kind of had just a little corner that was sectioned off for the crazy scientists that worked there. <laughs> um, it literally had, I literally had a, a lab bench in my office initially, and then they kind of got 
I guess everybody kind of got weirded out that I was doing these experiments in my office. So they actually gave me a little place in them, finally. So I'm trying to do sterile things in a not so sterile. I had a laminar flow hood, but not actually biosafety cabinet. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to actually get these seats clean enough, how to have the media clean enough, how to get it to the point where you could put the seed in the gel and not have it just explode with, with fungus and mold and bacteria. So that took a lot of time to figure out. Eventually, we just everything had to be sterile. The, the, we found out a, a process of scrubbing and cleaning the cells with, a, with hydrogen peroxide solution, uh, using sterile gauze as a, as a growth media, having the seeds finally germinate. And once they finally germinate, they have maybe just a little bit of one or two centimeters of root to come out the bottom. Once I got that part of it set up, okay, we got the seeds are kind of germinating. How long, about how long does it take for the seed to actually grow? Because we now have this huge growth window. Yeah. So it arrived on CRS 18 in July of 2019. Uh, Huzzah was not going to arrive until September 2019. How, how much would this thing grow? We, so we had a ground unit, the ground version of this as well. We learned it pretty, it grew pretty slowly, especially mm-hmm. at, at uh, station temperatures can be, depending on crew, because they kind of have a little bit of a of, uh, say in what the temperature is on the space station anywhere between 18 seed to 25 seed. And so we looked at, it would, it grew pretty well. It grew for a certain amount of time that we had, it, it, it grew relatively well. We didn't want this thing to be fully developed. And we wanted to have when Huzzah got up there actually to show some growth at least. Yeah. Found a good time window about of how long this would grow. And it looked like about a month or six weeks between arrival of the experiment and his arrival was, was, you know, adequate. And then the thing we had while, well, when it, when it did finally, arrive, we finally worked out all of these components and eating a lot of seed, a lot of date. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that's right. Well, when it did arrive, we had crew taking photos of it about once a once a week, and so we got to see the the growth. They would they would take the pictures in and send them to us, so we could see how that was going. We're really really worried about the fungus and mold growth in this. Did we get all of it? You know, despite every time I would run the ground experiments, uh, they seemed to be every once in a while we just I'd just miss some, and it would it would grow grow a bunch of fungus. Just to finalize, before it would actually hand it, hand over to for launch, we were at the Cape doing this in the hood. We actually had a sterile hood. We actually had a legit lab, so and uh, put it into sterile media and sterile. Everything was fully sterile. Last thing I forgot also was uh, moisture control. Yeah. So we found that if you put a piece of tape over the flask, these flasks have a little vented uh, cap on them. If we we could control the moisture, that was another part of it that was really good. At, uh, we had to figure out as well is if we put just tape over the top of the flask to cover that breathable membrane that's at the top of it, uh, we could keep the moisture inside. And then once the plant started growing, we would remove it so it didn't, didn't take over the plant. Which, yeah. You know, our plants don't do well with moisture, especially once they grow in deserts, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so all of this just minutia of little things that you you take advantage of of growing things on the ground. Uh, just became incredibly magnified when you have to grow the, in all these restrictions. And this is the same for any experiment that goes to space, particularly the life science experiments. The, the process can be just really brutal on it because it's just there's so many variables and so many things that can just destroy your experiment. So we finally got everything optimized to where we knew something was going to grow, possibly have little to no mold growth. As I arrived in the space station, one thing that we had noticed actually before he had actually arrived is that at some point in arrival between us handing it over and it arriving at the space station, the media had kind of become dislodged in the flask. Ah. Yeah, so a lot of the experiments that use this kind of media, there's there's a very small volume of the media. And this is, I think, the first time probably ever this large amount of media was flown in a culture flask. Yeah. 
it had dislodged and became almost uh instead of a solid media became more like a gel and it was it, it was floating all over the, the, the inside of the flask so it wasn't a very pretty it, it didn't look you know here we're looking for this beautiful symbol of this growth of a palm tree with the with the uae astronaut these pictures are going to be great you know of, of seeing the, the crew on the station with this beautiful symbol and and it just it just looked a mess yeah um it had dislodged and it was just all over the place which is part of the experiment it's part of the you know we didn't know that was going to happen yeah we really didn't you know we figured this media was pretty 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 stout and that it wouldn't happen so but the plant did grow we did have compared to the ground unit that we also had the ground samples it did grow and it was starting to grow uh, leaves as well which was really significant to actually see a little bit of green on the leaves yeah and we did see towards the end some some fungus and, and some mold growth, uh, unfortunately, uh, despite how sterile we were and despite how clean we were, it's something still just, you know, who knows how they got through our, our process. But yeah. again, it was a very good experiment to learning, learning how, how to even do this. How would you grow some large scale plant like this in, in, in space? Because nobody had ever grown palm tree, anything like this <laughs> in your space ever, right? It's always been very small, very easily to, easy to grow plants. Yeah. I know the, the plant folks at the Cape right now are going, yeah, easy, right, Carl, sure, yeah, <laughs> but um, relatively uh, easy. And so despite that, the, the, the whole project was really a lot of fun. It was, it was a great opportunity to not only travel to the UAE a lot, but to meet the, the great people at the UAE Space Agency, all the cool uh, people at the MBRSC, the people at the UAE University, uh, as well as actually getting to interact and, 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 and getting to know the Huzzah and Sultan, the two, the two selected to fly was really great. He's a space nerd. <laughs> Huzzah's total space nerd, <laughs> uh, which is great because he said he was just kind of outnumbered. Nobody thought you're, you live in the UAE, you'll never be an astronaut. What yeah. are you talking about? And now you got to be an astronaut. Brilliant. One of my fun stories with him is I asked him, I said, so how many launches have you seen? He goes, I've never seen any launches. <laughs> So the launch he was on was his first. His first. <laughs> yeah, like that's a that's a great view of your first launch. So, uh, really, really great people. Uh, I had a it was a great opportunity to to not only see them really dig into the space program because they are all in. They're really yeah. just going all in and making that part of their culture, which I think is great. But also learning more about food and contributing significantly to to how to grow food in in very austere uh, regions. And just to follow, just to finalize mm. what, what ended up happening to the, to the plant growth when it came back, <laughs> um, the seeds that went up uh, were actually returned to, to the UAE as well. And then the, the plant growth itself, when I got it back in January uh, 2020, I immediately flash froze all of the samples, uh, even the media and everything that was inside. Yeah. I eventually removed it from the flasks and both the ground control and the, and the flight sample and and sent them the coordination to do that is you can't just send seeds and plants to another country it's, no. there's, there's a lot of coordination that goes on <laughs> so the great people at not only at U, the uae but also at uh, ups was really just amazing uh, the uh, emirates date factory which supplied all the all the, the seeds uh, everybody who worked together was just it was just a great coordination and really wonderful product and to see many of the times that i was there to see the inspiration of these astronauts to to the younger generation that are now now it's they're not going to be laughed at and can actually yeah. Yeah, there's a very good chance you may be an astronaut yeah. um, so it was sent back to the UAE University uh, they were going to do some genetic and physiological experiments on it and I I assume there'll be a paper out eventually I have not heard anything uh, no, I don't know I haven't seen anything uh, yeah yet. I don't know what's going on something to look forward to <laughs> yes, of course. 
Okay, so I mean, you were talking there about you know the inspiration this provides to you, the next generation, and another one of the the big projects that you worked on at NanoRacks was all about education, and that was a kit basically um, to help um, kids become space farmers. So that was called what was it, Plants in Space? Yeah, so that was uh, with our we. I don't know what they call it now, but at the time we called it our sister company, uh, Dream Up, yeah. uh, which was our educational uh, outlet at Nanorax. And um, it, the plant growth experiment was one of three that I I, I worked on and designed. Um, there was a plant growth, there was a microbial growth kit, and then there was a crystal growth, uh, like growing sugar, which I don't think we had a lot of issues with, so we, we didn't really follow up on it. Yeah. But there's two yeah. kits you can actually purchase through Dream Up, I think still today that you can. It comes with a kit, like you can grow your own your, your own seeds and things like that. With the plant growth one, you can grow your own microbes. It comes with a kit, all the things you need to do it. So, yeah. And it actually comes with a curriculum as well. And for both kits, you get to see the actual flight results. Uh, so there's actually photos and things like that that you can actually get with the, the kits that actually show the flight results, and you get to compare them with your results. And so the plant growth one was a collaboration with BASF, uh, which is a, is a chemical company that's been around forever. Yeah. Um, and so they collaborated with DreamUp and said, hey, we have we have an idea that, you know, we have we make a lot of great dyes. I think that's how BASF started was making these these type of dyes. And what kind of plant growth experiment could we possibly do? Again, coming to me and, and just saying, hey, we got maybe this. What can we do with it? I have to come <laughs> up with an idea. <laughs> um, again, it was a lot of fun. I didn't mention it, but I've been gardening I recently moved, but I had a garden in my backyard for 12 years. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of plants. This wasn't just something I learned. <laughs> I had a very large vegetable garden in my backyard. And Excellent. So the idea to, to do another plant growth experiment in microgravity was fun and allowed me to actually exercise a part of my hobby skills yeah. that I, I, had, I had learned. So they had these dyes that they wanted us to try out in space with plant growth. And I had come across some of the works of John Kiss. You probably know who he is. He's been on the show. Oh, is he on the show? Oh, yeah. Nice now. <laughs> I scrolled through. I didn't see it. Okay. Uh, cool guy. Yeah. If you're going to talk about plants, you got to have John Kiss on. And, and somebody who's really involved with students. Uh, Annalisa Paul and Rob Froll had come up with the experiment, the idea of the auxin um, regulating uh, gravitropism and their work on microgravity. And then there was John Kiss's work and where he had kind of discovered something independent from the auxin system for, for gravitropism where there's a light sensitive I put together that maybe we can do something with one of the dyes in the growth media and maybe block the light and see if there's a difference in the way that it grows. And this was really far, pretty complex for a student growth experiment, right? <laughs> um, but, it, but it was kind of just like, if we're going to do the plant growth experiment, at least, at least let's try to get some, you know, science as well out of it. Like, let's do something not a lot of, I don't know how to nicely say this, a lot of student experiments, I don't think they... They're like, well, they're kids. It doesn't have to be real science. And yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, a lot of stuff that gets done in, in microgravity for, for students is just demonstrations of already known physio. You know? And I'm like, let's do something that's actually scientifically relevant, at least. Yeah. And get them involved. If anything, they can at least just see the differences in how plants grow in, in microgravity compared to, to, to 1G. Yeah. Um, and so... We had to, again, a, a one and a half U, which is pretty much what the, our most popular volume of that was, that was flown uh, because it allows the volume for the experiment and adds this little extra volume for your electronic components and things like yeah. that. So we had to come up with a self-contained plant growth system uh, in a one and a half U. And so 
the um, really awesome engineers at, at Nanorax, uh, Brett Schaefer was one of them, who was a mechanical engineer, and then uh, Caleb Doherty, at, uh, who's an electric engineer, came up with the design of, of how to do this with, uh, with, uh, with the electronics, how to actually physically put these. We, were, we just selected test tubes to grow, eight test tubes to grow inside the chamber. Yeah. And part of the challenges was, okay, how much light? Um, one of the things we discovered, I come into the project a little, little bit later, and they had already started to design. And one of the things I pointed out is that there was no air vents for the plants. Oops. And yeah. Sometimes engineers are focused. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you have to have air for the plants to grow. Because I think they had started growing the plants. In the, it just They did a test run and they weren't growing. And I'm like, there's no air. Yeah. Can you survive without air? And they're like, oh, yeah. Um, and there wasn't enough light. It was, there was just a few LEDs, red and blue LEDs. And it's like, you need, you need, you need something greater than that. Yeah. So that was one of the first things we, I worked with them. We, we had set up some experiments to kind of optimize what, how much light we needed, um, how much air exchange. They had to do a complete redesign of, of the, uh, the venting system in these tubes. And uh, heating, dumping excess heat was another problem. Of course, you can't have too much heat because you'll cook your plants as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of these small electronics don't make a lot of heat, but if you're inside a sealed volume for you know a month or plus, you have to get a build up. Um, one of the other challenges was, of course, this was how do we not keep it from growing before it gets to the space station? <laughs> yeah. And for this project, luckily, we had access to refrigeration, uh, so we simply just put the seeds in 4C. The other thing was one of the original things they were looking at to grow, I think, was a type of lettuce. And lettuce can be finicky yeah. to, get, to get to germinate, especially certain types of lettuce. And I said, just grow. I said, why don't we grow arugula? Like, arugula grows like a weed. It's, it's hard <laughs> yeah. to, get it to grow. And so we switched to arugula, which grew really well and had flight heritage. It had flown in, in space before. Yeah. A lot of other student experiments had flown. Uh, I think, I think uh, British call it rocket. We rocket. do call it rocket, yeah. So, so it also had this rocket space term. It was like it, everything just kind of fit. So we switched to growing that, which would easily grow in 30 days that we had the time window that we had to grow it. So, again, we have the volume constraint, heat, electronics, and and and. and uh, those kind of constraints, and then we had uh, time constraint as well. Again, all the great components of growing something or doing something in, in, in space. So they designed this really wonderful growth chamber. We had everything optimized, and the first time we flew it, I think it was 2018, it didn't really grow as well. We don't know why. We had right. some weird, wacky growth things. We had the luxury of flying, flying it a second time. And uh, we also, so we had eight tubes, four had dye in them. Right. Uh, had, had the blue dye. And then we also had uh, orientation. So we had some of them oriented uh, with the seed growing towards the light, and we had some of them facing the other way. And so it would completely block any of the light at all. And I think we had mixed results. So we, when it finally came back and we did get it finally to work, it had flown on the first Cygnus CRS-2 flight, right. which was interesting because it was the first time that CRS had done a late load. Cygnus has this shroud that goes uh, over the over the, the flight vehicle, and it uh, always kind of made this long delay in flying. You had to turn things in early because they put the shroud on it, and then you had no access to the payload. So something like unlike Dragon, which you had uh, a late load of 24 hours. So late load is the process of how late can you hand over the project before it's loaded on this, the vehicle. And Dragon had 24 hours, and Cygnus before had they had whittled it down to four or five days, I think. <laughs> Yeah, pretty pretty bad, and it, and it was it, it was not flying a lot of life sciences because of that. 
But the people, at, I think now, now it's Northrop Grumman, Orbital or Northrop Grumman, maybe they changed their name again. I don't know. Um, came up with an idea to have a portal on the side of the, the shroud that they could actually have access to. And this was the first slide for that. Anyways, I'm just mentioning this because it's now a feature and showing how NASA has changed the, the ability for life sciences over the years to actually make it easier. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're trying right, <laughs> to adapt uh, to, to make these uh, adaptations. So that was one of the things put into the CRS-2 program to, to have access to, to late load to, the, to that rocket as well. So now you had the same capacity to late load like Lies Dragon did. So that was, there was, this was the first flight. So we had an opportunity to take a part in that. Yeah. So it flew. We had, uh, it came back. I wish I could, it's a podcast. So I can't really show you the pictures, but um, <laughs> it flew really well. One of the weird things that I had that I'd love to understand more, and I think I have an idea why, but some of the roots had actually, instead of growing down, came up out right. of the median and grew, grew towards the light. So it was very confusing because, well, why is it growing to the light? It, sh- it shouldn't grow towards the light. And the best explanation that I have, and I think I've seen and read a few things more about how, how, why this happened is that um, I think there was some, some oxygen depletion and not enough oxygen in the media itself. So they're, oh, okay. they're growing out. It's kind of like cypress trees, how they have cypress knees that grow out to the uh, water. New metaphors. Yeah, exactly. So it was probably the best explanation I can come up. So we had a little, couple little anomaly growth that didn't happen on the first flight, but the second flight actually showed that next time we have to at least either have more oxygen in or air exchange it still wasn't good enough in microgravity, whereas in, in 1G, they, they didn't do this. Yeah. Or have a different media or less dense media, um, something like that. So that was something scientifically that we, we learned it was, yeah. was important. Anyways, the, the photos, it took photos like I think probably once an hour every day. So we had hundreds and hundreds of photos. So you have access to these photos when you buy the kit, and then you can actually compare your plant growth experiment to the ones that are on the space station. Fabulous. I think, again, as all experiments go, it didn't really conclusively answer uh, anything about the, the, the light. Yeah, the data was kind of mixed enough uh, that we really couldn't come up with anything conclusive. Again, it would have to grow. It would have to fly multiple times. BASF was happy. Uh, we were happy. It, was, it, made, it you know, made this nice kit. We didn't really get the science out of it, but we did have a nice uh, kit that we could now provide to, to, to students. Yeah, we threw away the actual sample tubes that were in it, and we gave the entire module to BASF, so it now lives at uh, BSF headquarters in their lobby. They have a nice little display case for it. <laughs> a little bit of space history uh, nice. there. It was uh, it was an amazing experience to actually just be able to be involved in, like I said, not only the history of, of nanoracks uh, or in commercial space, but just all of the literally hundreds of experiments that I interacted yeah. with when I was there was was amazing. Amazing. Now, and I moved on and now make vaccines and have nothing to do with microgravity research, <laughs> except for consulting. For the moment. <laughs> yeah, for the moment. Okay. You said earlier on that you had a vegetable garden, that you are, in fact, a gardener here on Earth. Um, so if you were going on a deep space mission and you were joining a community, all your food needs are met or whatever, but you could take one plant with you just to be your personal plant, do you know what you would choose and why? Uh, a lime, limes. I would grow limes. Limes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I like lime. I love limes. I'm, being from South Florida, I love Caribbean food. Yeah. Caribbean food, Jamaican food. And there's a lot of the lime plays a big part in a lot of the foods uh, and that flavor. Uh, coconut and lime were two of my favorite flavors. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have a lime. Yeah, I would grow some limes. Uh, definitely. And you could make, you know, margaritas. <laughs> Space margaritas. <laughs> Not if NASA's watching. 
well, there's going to be commercial space stations now, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> That'll be nice. We can li- line the whole place with lime trees. That'll be awesome. Yes. Now I just have to become a billionaire. That's, yeah. Easy. <laughs> I'm sure that's, Easy. you know, just around the corner. <laughs> of course. The first million's the hardest, right? <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. No, I like the idea of taking limes into, into space. We've had um, other people that have chosen lemons, um, ah. but you're the first person to choose a lime. And I'm just looking at my, my space greenhouse is nicely getting packed out with different species now. So I'm, I'm a happy bunny. Yeah, they've got, they've got the little uh, Meyer lem, uh, lemons and lime trees. See, they're small, miniature. Yeah, I think, yeah, listen up, NASA. Yeah. Now you've had hot hatch chilies, uh, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, what's next? Well, they lime. haven't done the tom- they haven't done tomatoes yet. Not properly. Oh, that's they right. We are it. still eagerly they're... awaiting the tomatoes. Yes, they're on it. I, I never mentioned it, but <laughs> as a kid, the one of the I was I wanted to grow. This was before the Martian. I wanted <laughs> to see if I could grow potatoes in, on a on a. Well, I was making this microgravity machine with a bicycle wheel. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to rotate the potatoes and I would potato plants on it and it, it didn't work very well, but I was, I was like 10 years old. So. <laughs> so like science fair project, you were making your own, what is it? A clinostat they called or something? Yeah. Yeah. It was a clinostat. Yeah. So it was a, with a bicycle wheel and it, the electronics got a little too hard for a 10 year old. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was determined that I was going to grow some potatoes because they were always growing plants like lettuce and things like that. Yeah. And you know, more substantial, um, grow some potatoes. And I guess it was just my destiny because how many years later I grew plants in space. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you for coming on the show and telling me all your space plant stories. That's fabulous. Thank you for the opportunity. This is a lot of fun. And, and uh, <laughs> I look forward to listening to, to more uh, of, of your podcasts. They're, they're oh, great. Brilliant. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Carl for coming on the show and sharing his space plant stories with us. Are you keeping up with the plant growth experiments on the International Space Station? At the moment, we're seeing images of cotton growing in the advanced plant habitat, and that's an experiment called Plant Habitat 05. PH05 is cultivating several cotton types that differ in their ability to regenerate into whole plants from an undifferentiated mass of cells known as a cali. Because cotton is highly resistant to plant regeneration, it's hard to engineer new varieties with specific or enhanced traits, such as drought resistance. The goal of PH05 is to give us a better understanding of this problem and a way to solve it. And we're also catching glimpses of the Veggie Ponds experiment, which uses the Tupperware Ponds units to grow Mitsuna and Lettuce in Veggie. The Ponds units are designed to mitigate microgravity effects on water distribution, increase oxygen exchange and provide sufficient room for root zone growth. The goal here is to develop hardware that makes it possible to grow bigger plants, whether that's larger leafy vegetables or something like tomatoes, in orbit. We're also looking forward to the next cargo launch to the space station. NG-17 is currently scheduled to leave Earth on Saturday the 19th of February. It will be carrying a new technology demonstration called X-Roots. X-Roots is new hardware for growing plants using hydroponics or aeroponics. That's growing plants with their roots immersed in a nutrient solution or by misting roots with a nutrient solution. X-Roots will fit into one of the veggie slots to use the veggie lighting. What I'm hearing is that X-Roots will involve 16 different crop plants, but that some of those will only be involved in germination testing. Some leafy greens that have been previously grown in veggie will also be trialled in X-Roots. And we should see radishes, carrots and even cherry tomatoes growing there as well. 
That's it for this episode. I am eternally grateful to my patrons who support the show financially. And if you'd like to join that elite group, then you just need to go to patreon.com forward slash gardeners of the galaxy. I have also just started a new LinkedIn group called Space Plants and Astrobotany. And if you want somewhere to chat about your passion for space plants, then do come and join us here. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of your signal. We have activated the auto kettle and you are T minus three minutes. Mission control out.